Diplomatica, a journal of diplomacy and society. In the following, you'll hear an interview with Vincent Dupé Senecal on fashion, diplomacy, and international relations. His current research project within the Marie Sklodowska Curie Actions aims to study the role of French women's sartorial fashion in France's international relations with a focus on both its interaction with the European economic community and its influence on the American mass market during the 1960s and 1970s. We got to speak about this and much more. Enjoy. Hi, Vincent. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Akan. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what made you take an interest in fashion, diplomacy and international relations? So uh, it goes back uh, to around about uh, 2010 when I was still doing my bachelor's degree in international studies at the Université de Montréal. I, uh, at that time, I visited the exhibition uh, on the golden age of culture at the National Museum of Fine Arts in uh, Quebec City, which um, was about the period from uh, 1947 to 1957. And this exhibition had come from the Victoria and Albert Museum uh, in London. At that time, I knew that uh, the immediate post-war years in France had been a period of reconstruction, so I was intrigued by the apparent disconnect between uh, the golden age uh, of haute couture at that time and the material reality of the post-war years in France. So this was the starting point of my reflection that I developed throughout my master and especially throughout my PhD that studied um, the influence of uh, fashion in France's relations with the United States after World War II. So, but beyond this anecdote, uh, the other point that made me take an interest in fashion uh, and international relations was how different it was regarded depending on one's point of view. So, for example, uh, Didier Grombach, who had written Histoire de la Mode, so the histories of fashion, in 1993, which was re-edited in 2008, um, talked about haute couture being the spearhead of the French textile industry after World War II. However, on the other side, so um, when fashion was discussed in books on post-war French international relations, it served only as a, an anecdote for them to testify to larger phenomena. So, for example, uh, the idea put forward by the historian Richard Cuisel that there had been a certain level of what he called Frenchification of the United States after the war, uh, even if it was in no case an equivalent phenomenon to that of the Americanization of Western Europe. But he used examples such as... Uh, the fashions of uh, Dior being quite popular at the time, so the new look as a form of uh, illustration, but only like anecdotal illustration of what he was talking about. So it was really, uh, there was a really big gap between one, uh, researchers working on fashion saying that uh, this phenomenon was really important for France, and on the other side, historians working on international relations saying uh, it was essentially an anecdote, like a, a sort of footnote, but it was nothing else. So again, this disconnect between uh, the research that was done from the point of view of the couturier uh, through Didier Grumbach, who was um, the, at the head of the Fédération de la Couture uh, for, until 2014, I think. So when he wrote the book, he was at the head of this Fédération. So he was really talking from the point of view of couturier. Uh, so his work and the difference was 
great with the work of the historians working on the French authorities uh, from the point of view of French authorities. So this pushed me to try and learn more about this subject. So what these works had revealed to me was that haute couture and the fashion it proposed after World War II had been construed as having at least two distinct forms of influence. So either promoting textile exports or promoting uh, French values. So more schematically, this meant that the influence of fashion could be either commercial, industrial, cultural, or a combination of these forms of influence. So in turn, this is what made my interest grow in this subject, since this multifaceted influence of fashion, walking the thread between the material and the material, because there's the clothing, but there's also the branding. So this encouraged me into thinking fashion was inevitably of interest to diplomatic agents, and thus that it could be studied from the perspective of the history of international relations. Perfect. I wonder whether you could tell me about the field you're operating in, fashion and diplomacy, fashion history and international relations. What is the state of the art here? So this is a great question because uh, I, I will need to go a bit through, uh, I would say, the maybe the three main aspects of this uh, state of the art. Because, uh, in fact, the study of fashion from a historical perspective was uh, traditionally done by uh, cultural historians. So their main area of study has been uh, summarized by uh, Regina Liblaszczyk uh, in uh, her work uh, of 2008, Producing Fashion, Commerce, Culture and Consumers, as having been uh, haute couture designers, clothing as material culture, and the role of sexuality and sensuality in sartorial expressions. So this was, the, I would say, the traditional angles of uh, cultural historians in the study of fashion. However, starting in the early 2000s, the business historians started contributing to this historiography of fashion by analyzing its, produ its production through the interactions of commerce, culture, and consumer, as uh, <laughs> the title of her book uh, says uh, quite uh, precisely. So the work done by her, uh, Regina Liblaszczyk, is a good example, as well as the work uh, done by Véronique Pouillard, which has uh, just published a book recently on uh, titled Paris to New York, the transatlantic fashion industry in the 20th century at Harvard University Press. So it is within this context that histories of high fashion and its related branches, meaning uh, perfume or beauty products or even ready-to-wear, um, taking into account in a globalized world, they really exploded in the last decade. So these studies stem from the new business history that merges cultural and business approaches by focusing on relationships among enterprise, society, and culture, while also recognizing that there is no such thing as a free market. So taking into account also the role of, uh, I would say, state actors in this. So related to this acknowledgement of the global nature of the business, studies on the international politics of fashion also emerged in the past 10 years mainly focusing on the political uses of clothing. So these studies look at the political meaning of styles and fashions and the way in which clothing that is worn or not <laughs> can testify to the power dynamics and serve to promote or disseminate political views and opinions. So in the last decade, the volume edited by Andreas Benke at Routledge in 2017, which is titled The International Politics of Fashion, being fab in a dangerous world, highlighted a good variety of international case studies of political use of clothing. So for example, in this book, Marie-Hope Schwobel was uh, looking at the evolution of Somali women's fashion during change in changing security contexts. And Daniel Conway 
was looking at the dress and politics of fashion of Margaret Thatcher. So it, there's a really big range of subjects regarding uh, the political use of clothing. Nevertheless, it is only quite recently that fashion has started to be addressed through the political lens of international relations. So the historiography stands currently mainly at the confluence of business history, cultural history, and the history of consumption. So the cultural studies scholars and business historians have analyzed fashion's cultural influence and the business of fashion from a global perspective, taking into account its very transnational nature as a social cultural phenomenon. However, in so doing, they have, uh, would say, this is what I argue a bit, they have a bit neglected the fact that fashion is also created and disseminated as an element of international relations. And so as such, it has an influence specific to this stage, that of diplomacy. So in conclusion, I would say that the histories of fashion and it, of its influence have encompassed both the social cultural aspect of, of its immaterial nature, so the brands I was talking about earlier, as well as the socio-economic aspect of the fashion business, so the workers as well as the production side and even the trade and commerce. So insofar as these studies have touched upon the international influence of fashion, they have done so either anecdotally or to testify to fashion's importance from the perspective of consumers or producers. However, by indirectly examining this international influence, these studies reveal a multifaceted influence of fashion that is of interest to diplomacy. So in, this highlights the work that has yet to be done in this relatively new field of study. Perfect. Thank you. So your PhD and your resulting book, La Mode Française, Victor d'Influence aux États-Unis, uh, 1946 to 1960, uh, deals with the role of French fashion in Franco-American post-war relations. What role did fashion play in this relationship, and how did it change across the first post-war decades? So the role played by um, fashion during this period changed, I uh, would say, a lot. In fact, it uh, changed between 1946 and 1960. It went through three main periods, uh, roughly speaking. So, however, it also is important to note that these changes differ depending on the perspective with which one looks at the expected influence of fashion throughout the post-war period. <laughs> so that is from the end of the war toward the very end of the aid to couture plan that started in 1952 and ended in 1960, because the couturier defended what they considered the important role their fashions played in the promotion of French textiles interests. While this perspective was more and more contested by both the representatives of the textile industry and public officials. So this is important to keep in mind when I, I will discuss a bit these three uh, main periods. So the three main post-war periods that saw changes in the role and nature of fashion's influence in France's international relations are the years preceding the Aide de Couture plan, so from 1946 to 1951, the first years of the plan from 1952 to 1956, and the last years of the plan from 1957 to 1960, and further into the 60s, but this is a bit beyond the, the content of my PhD thesis. So during the, during the first period from 1946 to 1951, the main impetus for Couturier was to justify the conduct of their business in the context of reconstruction and shortages in France until at least uh, 1947. So as such, the main argument developed by Couturier and their supporters 
was that haute couture could serve France since exporting haute couture clothing took almost no toll on the country's energy and raw material reserves, but brought in very important foreign currencies and especially American dollars to accelerate the reconstruction effort. However, the strategy fizzled out with the Plan Monet, so the first uh, plan made by the French authorities to plan the reconstruction of France, that was implemented uh, starting in January 1947, and that aimed to equip and modernize mainly heavy industries such as steel, electricity, cement, and agricultural and transport machinery. Nevertheless, starting in 1948, The Conseil du Plan, so the plan, the planning council that was responsible to uh, develop this plan, started to integrate what was called the haute nouveauté fabrics. So these were high-quality fabrics used mainly in haute couture garments, and they implemented, um, they integrated these uh, these new fabrics in the plan for the reconstruction of the textile industry by giving them the objective to showcase French fabrics on foreign markets in order to revive French textile exports uh, during this period. So to uh, bring in uh, more foreign currencies, and again, the American dollars was key to this. So this brings us to the second period of 1952 to 1956, which constitutes the first half of the Etiquature Plan that was implemented starting in July 1952. So this plan resulted from a couture textile rapprochement that imposed itself because of the global textile crisis that started in the summer of 1951, and also because of the first Italian fashion shows in Florence. These were quite popular with Americans and threatened the Parisian couturier's monopoly of style, which made the couturier want to approach the French textile, and the textile crisis made the textile representative uh, find quite interesting the prospect of collaborating with the couturier. So this period is one that mainly saw the role of French fashion as a way to promote textile exports in the United States and also other foreign markets. But again, the United States were really key in this period because they wanted American dollars. It was at the art of what the French called the export drive to the United States in order to have American dollars to pay for the imports of American goods. <laughs> so that's why uh, it was quite important. So with that in mind, in 1953, the couturier implemented what was called back then a propaganda plan, so a plan de propagande, dedicated to promoting the interests of French textiles on foreign markets, and again, especially in the United States. However, with each passing year between 1952 and 1956, it was becoming more and more clear that this was not to be uh, because of the high tariff rates imposed by the United States on fabrics and clothing, and especially on uh, the type of clothing exported by haute couture, which meant that it had been uh, worked on a lot. So they, they had a lot of added value, and so this brought with it a lot of higher tariffs. So the turning point happened at the turn of 1957, which inaugurates our last period. At that point, it was decided by the managers of the haute couture plan that what was called the propaganda mission ought to include the protection of haute couture images, ideas, and brands. This meant that from now on, brands and fashion images were to be at the heart of fashion's influence for French officials. In turn, this brought a change in the nature of haute couture fashion's influence by disconnecting the couture garment 
from the Couture brand, making it possible to link the Couture brand to a larger scope of products, and thus encouraging French diplomats to mobilize haute couture as part of events promoting French consumer goods at large and not just French textiles anymore. By the end of the Ed Couture Plan in 1960, fashion's role as a promotional instrument to encourage wide media coverage of events, not necessarily related to either fashion or textiles, became its defining characteristic for French diplomatic agents. And this was explained in the December 1960 note by François Gabotti, which was the commercial counselor of the French embassy in the United States, that made clear that haute couture was now to be uh, crowning promotional events, so being really important in these events, which would be organized by American department stores from now on, in order specifically to ensure wide and positive media coverage. Fascinating. So your current Marie Sklodowska Curie action project aims to uh, study the role uh, of uh, French fashion in international relations with both the European economic community and the US in the 1960s and 1970s. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about the project and uh, what do you hope to find? Yeah, so uh, the main objective of my research project was to solve the apparent paradox that came with the existence of an hate culture plan executed by the end of the 60s throughout the 70s. Indeed, since by the time the second hate culture plan was implemented in 1968, ready to wear had taken haute couture's place as the key trendsetter for styles and fashions, and this was to become even truer in the 70s. So for this reason, my project aimed to look at this period through the lens of the history of international relations by also mobilizing the phenomenon of what I call the dematerialization of fashion, which is a phenomenon that refers to the waning importance of clothing compared with that of ideas in the dissemination of fashions. And it encompasses essentially two main aspects. So the growing importance of brands over time and also the growing importance of the selling of the designs to um, manufacturers who would reproduce them industrially, I would say. Or So in addition, with the advent of the European Economic Community, so the EEC, at the end of the 50s, which had not played a role in the first aid to culture plan that had concluded in 1960, so during the research I did for my PhD thesis and so in my book, I also wanted to look at the new export targets of such a plan, or even if there were new targets, or if the United States had remained the main end goal of this new plan. The third objective of this project was to open the fields of fashion studies and that of history of international relations to each other to study this phenomenon since, as we already have discussed, this is something that has yet to be done, and I feel it is necessary to better grasp the extent of fashion's influence, most notably due to its very multifaceted influence at the conjunction of the social cultural, the commercial, the industrial, and the diplomatic. So after having worked for over a year on this project, I have managed to progress on these three aspects. So first, regarding the culture plan of the late 60s, I managed to define more precisely its extent this plan, which had initially been described as a continuation of the Educulture Plan of the 50s, 
mo mostly by Didi Grombach in his uh, 1993 book, re-edited in 2008, uh, was in fact two distinct subsidy schemes with an agriculture propaganda plan from 1967 to 1981 and an aid to textile creation plan from 1969 to 1979. So this was an important finding because it illustrated that the changing context of the turn of 1957, which we have discussed already, had continued to be at the root of culture propaganda in 1967, clearly separating what was called propaganda, so the promotional events, and textiles interests. So second, while the new Couture propaganda plan still subsidized participation in trade fairs and events abroad, as it had done before. It now also subsidized what was then called film de propagande, or propaganda movies, showcasing couture collections that were disseminated worldwide by the network of French embassies and consulates. So this was completely a new thing in the propaganda aspect of the, the plan. And it also, I would say, mobilized the advent of mass media that wasn't really there in the 50s. So in turn, what this culture propaganda plan highlighted was the fact that the United States remained a key market to be targeted by such actions, as well as new markets in South America, Southeast Asia, and mostly Japan, with the EEC not being at the core of this new strategy. And this was mainly because culture uh, propaganda was usually mobilized on foreign markets that were difficult to access for French consumer goods because of trade barriers or tariffs. But these barriers or tariffs couldn't do anything for uh, couture brands. And so this, I would say this is maybe an hypothesis I have, that this is why um, it was not used in the EEC, but mainly in the United States and also at Japan a lot. So finally, what I found most interesting was the continued interest of French diplomatic agents throughout the 60s and 70s in what they perceived as the positive influence of fashion and the participation of old couture houses to promotional events in their regions. This was reflected in their correspondence in the same way as it had been in the latter stages of the first aid to couture plan. Thanks. I mean, that's fascinating. Last, for those interested in this topic, wanting to learn more, where should they start their journey? Who are you collaborating with? I hear there is an interesting event coming up in December, for example. Yeah, so uh, the, the most important thing I can think of regarding the start of a journey studying the diplomatic influence of uh, fashion in international relations would be to keep reminding oneself to look at this subject from both a multidisciplinary perspective and also a transdisciplinary perspective. For this reason, information on this topic can be found in a variety of fields from history. So, for example, cultural history, business history, even fashion history, but also the history of consumption, social history, etc. However, it can also be found in disciplines outside the field of history. So, uh, again, for example, the cultural studies, mostly, and even fashion studies, logically, <laughs> but also communications, marketing, public di diplomacy, and etc. Also, So, in, in addition, this field of study combines a scale of perspectives that goes from the local to the global in its scope, including, logically, the national, international, transnational, and regional levels. So with fashion bring, being produced first at a local level in cities 
within a specific national context, so cultural, economic, political, and legal, the trade in fabrics and garments resolutely takes place on an international level, rocked by international trade laws and tariffs, as well as on a regional level with trade blocks defending the interests of their member states, their producers, and consumers. Finally, fashion also being an immaterial good through its designs, images, and brands, it is disseminated at both a transnational level through marketing strategies, mobilizing uh, nowadays mainly national branding, for example, and a global level through multinationals, which maintain a global distribution chain, able to ensure their global reach. So while in itself, this is not something that is really specific to fashion, because there are other industries that operate a bit like this, the combination of the material and the immaterial so clothing and branding makes fashion and its influence an especially interesting object of study as a vector of influence for diplomatic agents worldwide, as well as in itself a vector of public diplomacy. So at the core of the interest of this subject is both the multifaceted influence of fashion as well as the plurality of perspectives looking at this object of study. This, is, this also explains why, as you uh, alluded to with my colleague at the Université du Québec à Montréal, Madeleine Goubeau, a PhD student in communications, we have organized a workshop that will take place online on December 2nd and December 3rd to share the various perspectives on this object of study from a variety of disciplines. We feel that the best way to move forward with the study of the, this fashion diplomacy dyad and the influence of fashion in international relations is not by creating, I would say, a new silo to study this subject, but by fostering collaboration between researchers from various backgrounds looking at this dyad through their own unique perspective rooted in a variety of sources. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Vincent, for uh, taking the time to uh, to come on the podcast. And uh, we look forward to the results of your Marie Curie. Uh, and uh, we look forward also to uh, future publications. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Akan, uh, for having inviting me uh, to this podcast. You've listened to a New Diplomatic History podcast. For more podcasts, go to newdiplomatichistory.org slash podcasts. They're available on Apple, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Thank you for listening.